0: really important. The day of Pentecost has happened. 3,000 people saved. Jerusalem, the great city of the nation, is in uproar. The authorities have been caught on the hop. I'm sure that they thought it would all go a little bit quieter after they killed Jesus, but no, out of nowhere, suddenly the whole thing has sprung back up again. Thousands of people suddenly declaring their faith in Jesus. And then full of faith themselves, excited about what was happening, full of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John go up to the temple to pray. And on their way there at the gate, they find uh, a lame man begging. So they pray for him and instantly he is healed. And with all the crowds in the temple, suddenly there's hundreds, if not thousands of people around understanding what's happened, having seen and heard of a miracle. A great opportunity then to preach the gospel once more. And it's at this point that the priests and the temple guard hear them preaching to this massive crowd on their own turf, on their own territory. And it says that by this time, 5,000 people believe. So it's like another 2,000 people have turned towards Jesus and put their faith in him. This new religious experience is at the gates of the temple itself. And the religious authorities, well, they basically panic and they, um, they arrest them. And, uh, and they just don't know what to do because uh, they figured they got it all sorted out when they dealt with Jesus. But suddenly uh, they've got these uneducated northerners in the middle of their capital city speaking so eloquently and declaring the good news of Jesus and moving in such power. And they realize it's not like they've actually done a crime as such. So the best thing that they can do is to pretty well threaten them. Lean on them a little bit, tell them basically to shut up and go home. That's basically what they told them to do to shut up and to go home. And it's into this whirlwind of uh, breakthrough and opposition, days of great fruit and a growing, menacing threat that we come to our passage in Acts 4 and from verse 23. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of the Lord boldly. There are so many ways that this sounds like an outstanding prayer meeting. First of all, I think it shows a really great sense of community, the shared aspect of it. They came back, they told their friends what had happened, and then they all prayed together. It's really important for us to pray on our own, but it's also really important to pray together When they heard what had happened, when they heard of the difficulties, they prayed. It feels like prayer is their default response to crisis. Almost like their uh, reflex to the difficulties that they were experiencing. Something has gone wrong. What are we going to do? Let's take it back to Father and pray. And then it says that they raised their voices. Periods of silence and reflection are really important. Times of quiet and calm are really good. But that's not how this prayer meeting feels like. This feels really pumped. They raised their voices together. Now, in the light of being threatened by the same people who... uh, just a sort of a couple of months before had been responsible for putting Jesus to death, having been threatened by them, I wouldn't have blamed them for going back home and just taking stock a little bit. Maybe thinking through a strategy for still uh, speaking about Jesus, but a little bit more under the radar. That's not what they do. This prayer meeting seems to be an almighty my dad is bigger than your dad, moment. (laughs) The religious authorities have just said to them, shut up and go home. They go and talk to Father and say, more boldness and more miracles. The threat is hanging over them. Be quiet and go home. They pray to speak more boldly and with greater power. So in doing this, they show that they have a right view of God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. My God is bigger than you. <laughs> you know, we've sung this morning, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. All will see how great, how great is Our God. God, you made the heavens, you made the earth and the sea and everything in them. God, you are like there, and these circumstances are like here. That throws up a question for me and possibly for you. Who or what are we looking at when we pray? Are we looking at ourselves? Are we looking at our circumstances? Are we looking at other people? Or are we looking at the God who made the heavens and the earth and all that is within them? There's a real hint here as to the role of worship in prayer because most of what we call worship is prayer set to music, focusing on God, who he is, what he's done. And when we spend enough time looking to God up there, the things around us from side to side start to look different. If our focus is on him, that changes the way we pray. On the way up to Snowden, if you go one of the routes, there is a famous ridge called Crib Goch. Now, I want to level with you here. I don't really like heights at all. I, uh, I haven't quite got vertigo like that, but I just really hate heights, and it makes me feel sick, and my legs go a bit jellyish. So uh, so when I was invited to climb this ridge, I didn't really like the sound of it, but you also don't want to look like a wuss with your friends. So, uh, so I agreed to go. And as the... Uh, as the sort of the rocks disappeared to either side, and those of you who've been up there know exactly what I'm talking about, I found out very quickly that if I looked from side to side, I felt nothing but fear, and it hampered my progress. But if I looked at the summit, if I looked at where I was headed, and then looked at the few steps in front of me, really important concentrated on the few steps in front of me with the summit in view, I could do it and I've since climbed it on several occasions. When we pray, are we peering over the edge into difficulty or are we staring at the summit and looking at the few steps that God has for us in front of us? If we face opposition or threats or anything else. The starting place is God who made the heavens and the earth and all that is within it. And when we start there, our perspective on the rest of it has to change. It just has to change. So they started off with a right view of God. They also seemed to have a right view of the circumstances that they were facing. As they quoted the words of King David, Lord, you said that people would oppose us. You said that we could expect this. We know that you have purposes in what's happening. Lord, the, the Jewish authorities and the Romans and Pilate and Herod, in fact, everybody conspired against Jesus. And now it feels like everyone is conspiring against us too. But Lord, nothing, nothing is outside of your power and your will. So let's get God in his right place, but let's also get our circumstances in their right place. And that allowed them to have a right response. They don't seem to pray against the people who are opposing them. In fact, they seem to barely mention the people or the problem. Why would that be? I'd be like, God, these people have just arrested us and they've threatened us. Can you go and sort them out? Lord, you do whatever it is you need to do to sort out those people. You just get on with your God thing and I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make myself a brew, catch up on some DVDs, just let you be God, and sort out the problem. Their prayer, knowing who God is, is that God would empower them to do what they need to do. See, they're not responsible for what the other people say or do, but they are responsible for what they say and do themselves. So that's what they pray about, the things that are within their sphere of influence. Lord, they want us to be silent, but we're praying for faith to speak boldly. Lord, they want us to go away, but we pray for miracles. We pray for signs of your power and glory. They don't pray for the threats to stop. They just pray for the activity of God that will overcome those threats. We will not be quiet, we'll speak boldly, we will not go away. Lord, you work in power. And there seems to be something of a uh, a partnership going on here between God's power being at work and them actually being willing to partner with him and, and actually make themselves available And I wonder, I I look back at my own life, and I wonder about situations where I've been like, I wonder why it doesn't feel like God's acted in this situation. And looking back on it, I wonder whether I've missed a trick sometimes that I actually had a bigger role to play in that situation to almost like become part of the answer to my own prayers in it. when we pray for situations and people, do we pray sort of for them over there or do we pray for ourselves in that situation? Do we pray, Lord, will you bring my friend to faith or do we pray, Lord, will you give me the words to say? And even on like big issues, like like we can pray, you know, Lord, please end poverty in the world. But do we also pray, Lord, will you do something in my heart so that in my lifestyle there will be spare so I can share with people who are in need? I'm not saying that we don't pray for things that we can't affect. If we look at some of the big issues in our world today, I don't think I can change the situation in Syria or the migrant crisis or the political landscape but maybe I can change my bit. Lord, will you help me live for you wholeheartedly here and speak boldly? Would you stretch out your hand here in Shrewsbury and in the surrounding towns and villages with healing and salvation and breakthrough for people? God, I I want to be part of that. I'm available to help with that. Lord, I I know I can't change all of your world, But I also know that you can change all of my world. Would you stretch out your hand towards me and use me in your purposes? Let's make sure we don't put a big distance between ourselves and the things that we pray for. Because prayer can be a bit boring almost if we, like if it's just a list of things that we're sending one way, but we're not really, like, involved in them, we need to allow God to work in us and through us to connect us with the things that we're praying for. One of the ways that over the last few years as a church we've had um, a privilege of being connecting with what's happening in the Middle East is through our friendship with uh, Richard, who sat here at the front And Judy, who's there at the back, I think, with baby Joseph. It's brilliant to uh, have you here with us. And uh, Rich, I'd love you to come forward now. And uh, can we give him a warm welcome? Good to see you, mate. So just a a brief overview for those of you who don't know Rich. Um, He grew up in this church. And uh, there's a few people who used to be your children's workers who are uh, smiling at you. And uh, it's fair to say you had a bit of a wobble as a teenager and uh, and then powerfully came back to faith. And at the moment of coming back to faith, in a meeting in this room, there was a real sense of uh, calling to the, uh, the Arab world. And then uh, Rich went away to study, and uh, I had the privilege of... Discipling him uh, for a little while while you were still connected with Shrewsbury and studying away. And uh, I want to commend him to you because I saw him make brave life choice after brave life choice to prioritize his calling and to prioritize his king. And uh, Rich connected very strongly with a church in Birmingham and through that. Uh, He's linked up with uh, another part of our family of churches, New Frontiers, a a network called uh, Catalyst. And uh, they have uh, this prophecy uh, spoken over them. This is something that they're working to. So if we could have that little slide up. So I'm not going to speak this for the internet. But if you see those letters there, and then some of the great cities of uh, of the region is a prophecy that these guys are working towards. And so, Rich, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you've been doing for
1: the last couple of years? Yeah. So, is that on? Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank Welcome. Oh, no, not welcome. It's nice to be here with you. <laughs> um, it's great to be here. Um, and my wife at the back and, and Joseph, our, our new son, he's three weeks old in um, a couple of days. Uh, so, we've been living in the, well, I've been living in the Middle East for six years. Um, Judy's been there six years as well. We didn't start together. She was in uh, Damascus, and then she had to leave Damascus and came to where I lived. And God linked us together, and we got married. And now we've got a son. And uh, we've been learning Arabic uh, for six years. <laughs> We're still learning Arabic. Um, we've uh, been involved in helping people come to know Jesus and teaching English. Uh, obviously, the Middle East changed a lot in the last six years. So lots and lots of refugees have come. We we kind of speak with Syrian accents now. Um, People don't believe we've never been, I've never been to Syria. Um, But it's an amazing thing, and and that's where we are right now.
0: Fantastic. So,
1: would you like to tell us what the next step of your journey is then? Yeah, so uh, as things have developed in our current country, we feel now God's speaking to us about moving to Beirut in Lebanon, the capital of Lebanon, on the Mediterranean, um, between Syria and the sea. We're going to move there in January of this year, um, God willing. And we've got a group of people we're taking with us. They're going to get stuck into learning language, learning Arabic. Um, We're going to start serving among the Lebanese uh, community and uh, refugees from Syria and Iraq.
0: Fantastic. So could you just give us a couple of examples of things that have happened for you recently where God's given you an opportunity to speak the word of the Lord boldly, like we're talking about today?
1: Okay, so um i'll just i'll share two stories with you i think one from our current country and one from where we're moving to so about four or five months ago i got to know a guy in our country he's um married he's got a little girl and he his life was a mess he's got no hope one of the problems in our country is people don't have any hope finances is smashed you um, can't travel anywhere people are coming and kind of becoming polarized, it's, it's really hard and he's got no hope and he tried to change his life many times and it, he failed many times and then he, he, um, we became friends and we started to meet together regularly um, one day he was sitting with me and uh, there was another guy with us and he said to me how do you think we honor our parents, how do we do that And I felt God's spirit come, and I felt God say to me, tell him about how actually we don't need to beat ourselves up about that. God's forgiven us, and God gives us the power to do these things. And so I started to share that message about how Jesus takes away our failure, and he gives us hope. And the next day we met together, me and him, and again this other guy was there, and we were chatting, and my friend stopped me in the middle of the conversation and he said I need to confess something Arabs don't normally confess things in front of each other especially not about their family and he said I need to confess that I have not loved my mum and actually last night after you spoke I was in my car on the way home and I rang my mum on the phone and I said mum I love you I've been a terrible son forgive me I said, What did your mum say? He said, She didn't say anything. She just cried. And he said, Thank you so much for sharing this, this power in, the, in Jesus. And the other guy said, Well, me too. Last night I went home to my house and I, in, in Arabic, we, we've got a really bad word. It, it's, it, it's your foot. We don't say foot, we say leg. We don't show you our feet. We always keep our feet down. We don't talk about feet. We don't touch feet. The worst thing we can do is throw our shoe at somebody. And he went back that night and he said, I sat kissing my mum's feet. And his mum was telling him, get up from my feet. You're my son. And he was saying, no mum, this is my home. I'll be by, by your feet. And he said he didn't stay, he didn't leave. And He came back, he said his mum was crying and some life came into their relationship. A week later, my friend came to me and asked me if he could take a New Testament. I gave him the New Testament. A week after that, he came and said, your Arabic's brilliant, but what you really need to do is practice speaking about um, the New Testament. I think this is a weak area in your life. <laughs> so, "Okay." He said, what you need is someone to maybe come up with some questions um, about it, and they could ask you the questions, and then you could practice kind of answering them oh, that's a great idea. Where could I find someone like that? He said, well, I, I could do that. I said, oh, okay. When should we meet? He said, well, I've, I've got some questions with me. <laughs> Pulled out a bunch of questions. Um, and we started to read the New Testament and pray together and ask God to come and change his life. It was a bit sad because I only had a month with him left, and then I was coming back to the UK for, for a period, and it's hard to maintain relationships. On the second to last day before I left him, we got talking about Jesus. And there's another guy with us in the room. And the Holy Spirit gave me uh, the, the power and the grace to, to tell them about the cross. And that's a stumbling block for, for him and his friend. And uh, they seemed a bit interested. I went home, got my friends. We gathered. We prayed. The next day I was praying, God, don't let his friend come. Just let him be there so that we can talk face-to-face, man-to-man, in private. Let him be by himself. Came the next day, come into the room where he is. He's sitting there and the other guy too. I thought, ah, oh, this is the last day, last chance, to, before I move. Come back here for a bit. And um, as we were talking, just really felt the Holy Spirit there giving me grace and power to speak. And the last half an hour I shared the good news of the cross and that we need to believe in Jesus and Jesus is knocking on our hearts. Maybe you've heard of that. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you don't even—you haven't yet opened your heart to Jesus. You can do that today. Jesus was knocking on their hearts. I said to him, "Do you feel Jesus knocking on your heart?" And the guy sitting next to him said, "Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I need to give my life to Jesus." <laughs> so, I, so he gave his life to Jesus, and then. He went out happy, and I spoke to the other guy. I said, "What do you think?" He said, "Yeah, I need to give my life to Jesus." He gave his life to Jesus. It was amazing. amazing. Um, the second thing, then, I flew to um, Beirut. I'll tell you one story about from Beirut. One day, I was walking along. God's put an area on our heart in Beirut with many refugees, many people from different backgrounds, many poor people, um, and some powerful kind of gangs and um, religious groups. And uh, I was walking along, and we hadn't had Joseph yet. And as I was walking, I was feeling afraid, thinking I'm bringing the, my group of my team into this area. And it's a hard area. And are they going to be open to, to Jesus? And what about raising Joseph here? Just the day before I'd been with this couple, they were like, oh, it's fine. But one time a bullet kind of grazed our son's head when he's playing on the balcony. You think, oh. And I was afraid and thinking, what are we, how are we going to do this? And I was being attacked, you know, oh, you're a terrible dad, and you're here by yourself, your wife's in the UK, and uh, you're never going to be able to raise your son, Joseph, here, and we're going to have a go at him, and these things, just, you know how they come to your mind sometimes, and just prayed, Jesus, come and do a miracle, please, (laughs) I need you to be with me, and I walked along, and there's this particularly conservative area, and I was about to walk into it, and I thought, you know what, maybe I'm being just a bit stupid. I've got lots of photos on my phone of this place, and maybe it will be misunderstood if someone asks me to look in my phone, and what should I do? And then I felt the Holy Spirit come. And in my weakness, he, he said, I love you, and I'm walking with you. Don't be afraid. Go straight in the middle down that street so I did and there's a little coffee shop, a little fellow selling sh- uh, coffee so I thought well I need a reason to be here so I asked the guy can I have a coffee and he said yeah absolutely but it's going to take 15 minutes <laughs> so have a seat I'll try and get the coffee machine working maybe we'll call some guys to come and help me um, <laughs> have a seat so I sat down there's a guy there smoking um, argila, you know the, the kind of the, the pipe um, started chatting with him he said to me, why are you coming to this area? It's called Zbili to in Arabic. It means the trash of the trash. Why are you leaving England and coming to the trash of the trash? And I said, well, I teach English. Um, and actually, I teach the Bible too. And actually, God told me he loves this area. He said, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but why are you coming? We're all leaving. What are you doing? Stupid. And I said, well, I don't know, but Jesus told me he loves this area and he called me to come here and I'm bringing my wife and my son to come and be in this area. Um, and he said, well, are you going to teach the Bible to people in our area? And this is in a very conservative area. I said, yeah. He said, are you going to teach that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we can have our sins forgiven in our area? <laughs> and I said, Yeah. And then he leaned in close to me and he said, That's wonderful because I'm not from a Christian background. And seven years ago, I was walking down the street, five o'clock in the afternoon, and I had a vision. And Jesus came to me. And Jesus told me, I'm the way, and I've come to give you hope. And he gave his life to Jesus. And five years ago, so two years later, he was baptized. His dad's an important religious leader. His dad kicked him out of his family. He's got nobody. He works two jobs because he's poor. And he lives in this place, trash of the trash. And he's traveling from one job to the other. That day he'd stopped to have a smoke. And I come and sat down next to him. And he stopped going to church four years ago because he said, church is great, but the church that I go to don't really understand my situation here. And I've been praying that someone will come kind of do church in our area in a way that i can be part of which is what god's spoken to us about and i said well can i pray for you brother he said yeah please pray so i said to him okay he told me his name i started to pray with his name he said no don't use that name actually god's given me a new name when i was baptized a name to tell me that he's with me and i don't need to be afraid and i said okay what's your name he said my name's joseph So we're, we're in contact, and he, he's asking us if he can be part of what we do when we land there. You think, wow, this is amazing, isn't it?
0: One more question, yeah. and then we'll bring things into land.
1: What is your connection then with Sweden? Yeah. So our connection with Sweden. So, um, so I, I grew up here, another guy grew up here called Phil Whittle, if you know Phil. So he went to Sweden to Stockholm and planting a church in Stockholm. And then there's a, a Lebanese, a Syrian girl joined his church. She'd been living in Lebanon, um, in this area, actually, it turns out. And when I was there, I remi- reminded of that and contacted him and said, hey, you, you told me about someone that's great in your church, and she kind of lived in Lebanon. Where did she live? And he wrote back and said, oh, she lives in this particular place, her family do, and, um, and actually, there's someone we'd like you to connect with. So I connected with this girl. I'll just tell the story quickly. Um, connected me with, not this girl, but a friend of hers. And um, she came, she brought two of her friends to Starbucks. And we sit down in Starbucks on the, on the pretty much, the, yeah, the last day that I was there. And um, we got talking and she's trying to follow Jesus, but finding it a bit hard. And as I was telling them some of the stories of what God did that week, they got really excited and said, oh, this is brilliant. We've got a friend. He doesn't want to follow Jesus. And he's a soldier, so he's really brave and really strong, and it's really hard to persuade him. I've just invited him to come, because <laughs> I think it would be great for him to meet you. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the last day. Um, and he came, actually, and um, praise God, half an hour later, he gave his life to Jesus. <laughs> and this, this girl that we'd met um, had, had felt that she was following Jesus, but she could never be a disciple of other people. of some things in her life and she realized that that's not true and since we came back she's started a couple of bible studies with a group of people in her life you just think this is amazing how god connected us with with phil in sweden and us in where we live and then we're going to beirut and then we connect with a girl and a soldier gives his life to jesus and she starts a few groups
0: I don't know what to say next. (laughs) Stay here. Stay here. They're applauding me being quiet. as another miracle, (laughs) by the way. Um, What I will say is that our encounter meeting uh, a week today, in the evening, Richard and Judy are going to be sharing more. And believe me, you've heard two of many, many stories that they have of God working powerfully. And what we'd love to do in that encounter meeting is we'd love uh, for us as a church family to really get behind them, pray God's blessing upon them. And we really want to ask them to pray for some of the anointing that they have and the way God is working through them for us here. In a way, we want to pray the blessing of a of a resource church like this one being established in Beirut in that such a strategic city but we want to see some of the way the Holy Spirit is using you to break out amongst us and to change us so almost like a partnership a two-way street we've got so many ways that we can bless one another and spur one another on. I would also say that when we did our uh, gift day, um, we chose to give 10% of the money away. You'll remember that. And so 2.5% of that, um, which works out at just over £2,500, is going from our church back with Richard and Judy uh, to Beirut in just a few weeks' time uh, as that all gets sorted out. So that's one way that part of us building a, a, a church here and investing and paying off the mortgage and that is actually going with them to do what we've just been talking about. I do know that Rich has obviously had to give up work uh, in order to come back and then move to Beirut. So if you're interested in supporting them prayerfully or financially, do please speak to him after the meeting. Um, I know that he'll never ask for that, but just on on his behalf, I'd like to say that uh, if there's ways you feel you can encourage and support them, that would be great. I'm going to finish with this and then I'd love us to stand together and I'd love to ask Richard to pray for us, actually. In this church, Sunday by Sunday, we've prayed for the migrant crisis and the refugees. Together, I don't know, I couldn't do the statistics this week. We must have prayed for that on our notice sheet at least 30 times. And we've prayed the prayer, Lord, help them over there. We can't do much about it in Shrewsbury, but help them over there. But now we hear of Rich, who went to Belvedere School and is linked to our church, going to Beirut. And when he goes to Beirut, he has contacts from Phil Whittle, who grew up in this church and is in Stockholm planting. Phil, a lad from the Grange School in Shrewsbury, Rich, a lad from Belvedere School in Shrewsbury, in Stockholm and Beirut, reaching out to migrants and refugees and helping us through our relationships with them to answer the prayers that we've been praying week on week month on month on our notice sheet, knowing that in Shrewsbury we might not make much of a difference but can I tell you to the guy who came to Starbucks with his friends on that day. It made all of the difference. And so the opportunity that we have to hear God's voice and to see where the Holy Spirit's working and connect us with our prayers themselves. We've prayed faithfully week on week for this situation. And now two sons of influence from Shrewsbury who are serving God in the nation's have resources from our church going with them because we gave 2.5% to Phil in Stockholm as well. So as we're establishing a church community here in Shrewsbury, he's allowing us through his grace to be connected with answers to our prayers for the people that they meet. I'd love us to stand together. I'm going to finish there. And I'd love to pray. Rich, I'd love you to pray for us.
1: Father, we thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you that that song we were singing this morning, that we're now your children, is completely true, Lord. Thank you that you have made us your children, Lord. Thank you that's our inheritance to be with our Father as you bring your kingdom into the world around us, Lord. Thank you it's not something we do necessarily, it's something we are now. Lord, I want to ask you on the back of those prophecies today, Lord, I want to ask you, Father, that if there are people here today that are struggling with fear, lack of hope, I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, will you come now and will you come and bring faith and hope and freedom, Lord? Thank you, Lord, that you you lived with fear around you. Thank you that you faced many opposition, much opposition, Lord, in many ways. And so we find you someone who can sympathize with us, Lord, and understand us, walk with us, and bring us freedom. We ask for that now, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you take us and renew us, make us your children, and then bring us on mission with you as you bring your kingdom. Lord, I want to ask you, would you bring your kingdom around us this week, Lord? Broken hearts, broken lives made new, bringing freedom and power to the city because they've received forgiveness and freedom and become children of the Father in heaven, Lord. I want to ask you, Lord, would you bring power to us now, Lord? The power that comes from being your children, Lord, to the people around us, Lord, for your glory, Lord, for their salvation, Lord. I want to ask you finally, Father, if there are any people here today that maybe don't know you, that maybe have grown up in church or maybe never been to church before, maybe had a big journey, and are finding themselves here this morning, Lord, I pray, would you now come to them? Tell them of your love, Lord.
0: Father, we, your church here, Barnabas Community Church, we want to thank you for the way through friendship, through networking, through sending people, being friends with people. You've helped us to draw close to our own prayers for this situation. Lord, we thank you for the way we see your hand at work in this situation. And we do pray, Lord, for more and more signs of your kingdom and connections with mission going out, changing the nations. And we pray for the letters that we saw on the screen earlier, the role that Rich and Judy have and others in that prophetic promise for the great cities of the Middle East. And we pray, Lord, that you would give them power to speak your word with great boldness, that you would stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen.